Awesome. Thanks, Hank. If you, you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 tonight. Um, I can't promise it's going to be short. I know it's a little odd because we've been, you know, going through entire chapters of Genesis. Brody's going to be preaching um, the rest of uh, Genesis 15 next week, um, 7 through 21. But um, before we begin, and uh, I wanted to let you guys know that um, this week I, I really um, labored over this text. I, I, I let it soak and marinate in my heart and in my head. And as I did so, it led me to pray for you guys. Um, and uh, if you filled out the, the Red Oak Connections card online or, or uh, paper format, um, then um, I printed out a list of just everybody who's done that, and I prayed for each of you by name. Um, if you have not done that, I still prayed for you. I just didn't pray for you by name. Um, but I prayed for all of us um, that uh, literally the song that we just got done singing, um, that was my prayer, that um, if there was anybody that came in here tonight with their heart full of fear um, and, and they had just not submitted to the Lord or, or they were just living focused on themselves, that they would walk out in faith rather than in fear. And so um, uh, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to um, what God is going to teach us through his word. And probably the main question um, as I was looking through this text was, um, are you, am I, living in fear or am I living by faith? Am I living by faith or am I living by fear? Because there's a big difference. Uh, and, and I'm not really talking about um, like fear of spiders or fear of heights. Right? This is a deep heart level fear because uh, fear can be gripping. It can seize control of your mind. It can shackle your body. Uh, fear is not from the Lord. We know that God's word says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And our enemy would love for you to be afraid, much like Hank just prayed. Um, like it would be really easy for Greg and Kilby to be afraid of things that they might face or what might happen to them, right? And, and our enemy would love for them to live in anxious worry, Right? The devil loves it when you are full of anxiety. When you focus so much on your own circumstances and the lies that are in your own head that you get lost in a forest of fear. Maybe you uh, fear what people think of you. Maybe you're afraid that you might not have enough money to pay the bills this month. Maybe you are afraid of not graduating from high school. Or maybe you're afraid of not going to college, or maybe you're afraid of, you don't know what's going to happen after college, or maybe you are parenting in fear, fearful that your kids will rebel, maybe fearful that they'll get hurt, maybe fearful that they would leave you and never talk again, or maybe fearful that they've left and they haven't come back. Maybe you're fearful of inflation, or riots, or rumors of wars, or gas prices going up, or toilet paper shortages, Maybe you are afraid because you're not in control. Maybe you have fear because there's a lack of security. Maybe you fear failure. Hello, Joseph. Maybe you fear rejection or disease or pain or death. There's no shortage of stressors or dangers or uncertainty in this life. But for followers of Jesus, we are called to fear not. It's all throughout the Bible. It's definitely in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well because fear is a lack of faith. And when we're seized by fear, we're not trusting in God's word. 
Did you know that one of the, the greatest commandments in the word over and over again, we see fear not. It's one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. It's been said there's 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. Now, there's not exactly, I know, don't get your hopes up, exactly fear not 365 times in the Bible. But if you combine all the times where it says fear, fear God, not man, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, don't worry, then you've got probably more than 365 commands. And so we're going to see an explicit fear not in Genesis 15 tonight. And so we're going to see Abram go from fear to faith. Now, if you take notes, um, then you're going to love this passage. These six verses, it's a beautiful outline. In verse 1, we're going to see that God speaks. In verses 2 through 3, we're going to see that Abram responds in fear. In verses 4 through 5, we're going to see God speak again. And then in verse 6, we're going to see Abram respond in faith. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us as we read his word. Father God, I, I ask that tonight that you would disperse the darkness in our hearts. Remove any fear that is in our head and in our hearts, Lord, that, that you would teach us, that you would satisfy us with your word, that you would open up our, our minds and our hearts to, to see and know you. That if there's anybody in the room that does not trust you, that they would trust you tonight. If there's anybody in the room that, that hasn't been trusting you, that they would hear your word tonight and they would believe and walk out in faith. We love you. We want to obey your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's only six verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house as Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see Abram's fear turns into faith. Now I hardly ever entitle sermons. But if I was to entitle this one, then I would literally say that it's fear turns to faith. And so we're going to walk through these verses, verse by verse, starting in verse 1. It says, after these things. This statement is a bridge connecting the last passage to this passage. What things is Moses talking about? Well, all of the things that Rob preached in chapter 14 from last week. We learned a great deal, right? If you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. It's an exquisite Christ-centered exposition of the text. Abram is a courageous warrior who goes off as a strong leader and returns victoriously with his family. And Abram gives an offering to Melchizedek. Abram rejects a bribe from the king of Sodom. And then Abram receives a blessing from Melchizedek, who is foreshadowing of Jesus. The blessing from Melchizedek was special because he was the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, and the king of peace. But as Rob pointed out, Melchizedek could never give men peace or make them righteous, but Jesus could. He, Rob quoted often the book of Hebrews, 
because it provides a a beautiful connection between the narratives that we're reading in Genesis and the God-centered life we are called to live by faith as followers of Jesus. Hebrews 11 is um, what some would say the the faith hall of fame, a very familiar passage uh, where a lot of people go to define faith itself. And in the first few verses, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So it's gonna take a lot of faith for Abram to believe God's word. So the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is astonishing. We need to understand what the phrase, the word of the Lord is, because it's super important. It's in verse one. It's also in verse four. And so whenever anything is repeated, it's super important in God's word. What does it teach us that it says the word of the Lord came to Abram? Well, simply, it teaches us that God speaks. God is speaking to Abram, and the fact that his word came to him is amazing. We have to understand the context here, and we have to remember that we're reading Genesis 15. Abram did not have the Torah. Abram did not have the Bible, right? This puts a much larger emphasis on the spoken word of God. In mainly a non-literary society, the dependability of the spoken word was all important in law, religion, trade, marriage, and reputation, right? That's completely lost on us today, pretty much, right? Back in the day, business deals were, were sealed with a handshake, and folks would say, you have my, you have my word, and that was enough, but not today. And that doesn't fly anymore. We've, we've got to have it written down. And not just your written word, but you, not just your spoken word, but your, your written word, write, write your name on the dotted line. You better docu-sign here, here, and here, put your initial a thousand times, and put some money down. Why? Because nobody's trustworthy. So let's try to put ourselves in Abram's shoes in this context. The word of the Lord is the spoken word of God. In the Old Testament, the word of the Lord was the primary way in which God revealed himself and his will to his creatures. Let me define vision for us since it says that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision because this is different from a dream. The following is from Victor Hamilton in his book, The The Book of Genesis, and this is a quote. Yahweh's method of communicating with Abram through a vision, or mahaz is the Hebrew word, or literally in the vision, a word that occurs only three more times in the Old Testament, but related words which also mean vision appear frequently. What is transmitted from God to a mortal in such visions is not a visual image, like a picture, but a word from God. This is what distinguishes a vision from a dream. That God's word was revealed most frequently to the prophets through a vision may suggest that Genesis 15.1 is pointing us to Abram being a prophet, a designation specifically attached to him in Genesis 27. What follows in the vision is an oracle of assurance, end quote. So let's be clear about what we believe and what we hold to be true today. We no longer need visions or new words from the Lord, right? Abram didn't have a Bible. We do, right? The four main characteristics of the Bible are sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. And the easy way to remember that is an acronym, SCAN. So if you like acronyms, there you go. Scan, sufficiency, clarity, authority, necessity. We talked a lot about sufficiency here at Red Oak. We say that often, right? Basically, what that means is that the Bible is enough. 
We don't need a new revelation. We don't need dreams. We don't need visions. We have God's complete and holy word. We have what Abram didn't have, the written word. The Old and the New Testaments, the full counsel of God's word. The Bible is enough. The Bible contains all we need for the knowledge of salvation. It gives us everything for living a godly life. We have no need for any new revelation from heaven. Some might argue, are you trying to say that God doesn't speak today? No, God still speaks. He's not silent. The reason we hold so much value and put so much emphasis on preaching the word of God and you spending time in the word of God with it open in front of you, reading it and meditating on it and memorizing it and studying it is because every single time we open the Bible, God is speaking. The problem is we aren't listening because most of us aren't reading our Bibles. This book is living and active. He is still speaking. Do you trust that his word is enough? We have the written word of God. This is astonishing. This past week, Allie wanted me to listen to a sermon by Justin Peters. And so we sat down and we watched it together. And in it, he said this. I thought this was fantastic. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. We don't need a new vision, right? Abram got a vision. But we have the Bible, which is way more than what he got. For a better grasp and a deeper dive on the sufficiency of Scripture, I highly recommend the book, Taking God at His Word. This is by Pastor Kevin DeYoung. It's an incredible book. I'm going to read uh, a brief quote. In it, he says this, The Scriptures are enough because the work of Christ is enough. Sufficiency of Scripture should make a huge difference in the believer's life. First, with the sufficiency of Scripture, we keep tradition in its place. Second, because Scripture is sufficient, we will not add to or subtract from the Word of God. Third, since the Bible is sufficient, we can expect the Word of God to be relevant to all of life. Fourth, the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture invites us to open our Bibles to hear the voice of God. The Word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory of God. Man, that book is worth the price just for that last sentence. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live for the glory of God. God's word was enough for Abram. And this magnifies Abram's faith even more in our passage because he didn't have it written down. He had it spoken to him. And, and so since Abram had rejected the bribe from the king of Sodom and since he had gained some more enemies, he was probably afraid. All he had to go on was God's word. And you might wonder, how can you say that he was afraid? It doesn't say that he was afraid. But God said to Abram in verse 1, fear not. You better believe that Abram, he got a lot of people mad at him when he was taking his 318 men and doing what he did back in chapter 14. But God promises to protect him. Look at verse 1. It says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I'll be your defense, Abram. I'll protect you. Don't be afraid. Don't have FOMO. Perhaps Abram had some fear of missing out on what he had said no to when he rejected the king of Sodom's offer. But what this teaches us is that God sees, God knows, and God provides. Abram depended on God alone, and God rewarded it. Abram's rejection of the king of Sodom's gifts was his second rejection of Sodom. And he had, he's showing that there is reward and allegiance to the Lord. So let's see what 
how Abram responds to the word of the Lord in verses 2 and 3. It says, but Abram said, O Lord God. So he's, he's saying, God, you're God. You, you're the only God, and you're Lord. You're the master. What will you give me, though? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram's response is focused on the promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever been afraid of, that maybe God's promise to you wouldn't come to pass? Ever wondered if God's word was true? Have you ever been impatient? Ever experienced periods of silence or suffering or loss or confusion? Well, you're in good company because Abram also went through that exact same thing. In these verses, Abram doubts and questions the promise of God. It seems like Abram's a little impatient. God's timing is not our timing, right? His timing is absolutely perfect, yet we are a very rushed people. We're like, God, you said this. Why isn't it happening yet? And we know later that Abram waited a very long time, 25 years in fact, for the promise to become a reality. So he feared that it might not happen. Perhaps he was thinking, maybe, maybe God forgot. Maybe, maybe God changed his mind. Notice in Abram's response how focused he was on the promised child. He says, childless, heir, offspring, heir again. So let's see how the Lord responds in verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. So God speaks again. And notice that God speaks directly answering Abram's wonderings and fears. God's word is trustworthy. God's word corrects. God's word redirects. God sees. God knows. God responds. God provides. God said, this man, referring to Abram's servant, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Remember, Abram was so focused, he used the words childless, offspring, heir, twice. And God responds with this correction. He says, I'm going to assure you that you're going to have an heir, and your very own son shall be your heir. And then God takes Abram outside and says, if you want to know what your reward is going to look like, just look up. Look at this picture. I love this picture. I don't know if how well you can see it. My father-in-law sent this painting to me this week. But look up, Abram. Take your eyes off of yourself. Take your eyes off of your household. And take your eyes off of your fear. Look up. Count the stars. Your reward, your seed will be innumerable, Abram. You will have a promised child that will turn into a nation. So God's word of promise comes in light of Abram's fear and doubt. And notice what God does not say. God does not say, Abram, obey this. God was looking for complete dependence and utter trust. He was looking for faith because the covenant didn't rest on Abram's performance, but on God's gracious promise. The covenant promise wasn't just about a promised land, but specifically a promised people. The focus is clearly on the seed this is a continuation from the promise that God gave Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3.15. If you're hearing this today and you have faith in Jesus, you're a product of this promised offspring, all because of Christ. Salvation is all because of God's gracious promise, not because of our performance. We are the children of Abram because we are the children of faith. 
The Lord declared and reassured Abram of the promise. The promise is abundant and breathtaking. How would Abram respond? Well, let's look at the last verse. And this is the key verse of this entire passage. Some might say the key verse of the whole book of Genesis. Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram's response to God's word is one of faith, not fear. This one verse is quoted four times in the New Testament. Romans 4.3, Romans 4.22, Galatians 3.6, and James 2.23. Abram believed the Lord, and to believe is to have faith, to simply trust, to, to have faith that Abram believed that he didn't, he put his faith in God, right? He's not saying, um, I know that you can do this, but I don't see you. But he's saying, it's not the object that he's looking at. It's not the stars that he's putting his faith in, right? He left that pagan nation. It's the faith of Abram didn't save him. It's the object of his faith that saved him. Many people have faith, but it's not in the Lord. It's not in the word of the Lord. Abram trusted God. Abram trusted God's word, and Abram trusted God's promise. And because of that, God credited righteousness to Abram. The phrase, he counted it, comes from the Hebrew verb asab, which means counted or credited or imputed. And this imputed righteousness because Abram was looking ahead to the unseen. Abram had faith in the not yet, the unseen. Imputed means a righteousness from God, not from works. Now, righteousness is being morally justified. It's one who acts according with the divine law. To obey the law perfectly. That's how you be righteous. Well, we know nobody can do that. And that's why this is such an amazing verse. Because it was based on his faith that he was counted as righteous. This verse is the main verse that connects how righteousness comes through faith alone. Abram was declared righteous because of his belief. But he was not the first to believe and then be considered righteous. Y'all remember Abel? Enoch? Noah? The author of Hebrews 11 sure does. In a brief paraphrase, he says, By faith, Abel offered to God a sacrifice and was commended as righteous. By faith, Enoch walked with God and pleased him. By faith, Noah lived in reverent fear and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So even before Father Abraham, we have a primeval example of how righteousness comes by faith alone. So Abram is an example of faith. We're called to believe much in the same way. We too can become heirs of righteousness that comes by faith if we would look only to Jesus and trust in him alone. Listen to the emphasis on belief and faith in the New Testament. This is just a few verses. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3, 16, 15 and 16, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 20, 30 through 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, that's in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abram, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But we know that's not true. You can't boast before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So just like Abram trusted God, we are not to rely on ourselves. We're not to trust in ourselves, but we're to put our trust in Jesus. When you rely on yourself, when you trust in yourself, when you look to other people or other things to rescue you, you'll always end up in fear. Every time. You're going to be afraid because you're relying on yourself. And when your heart's full of fear, you don't have any peace. Trusting Jesus brings peace. Believing God's word is key. Kent Hughes said this, Abram trusted God's word implicitly. That is the great continental divide in our lives as believers. Do we really trust his word? You got to wrestle with that yourself tonight. Do you really trust God's word? Abram foreshadowed his great heir and ultimate seed who said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Abram believed the words that came from the mouth of God, end quote. Do you? Do you believe God's word today? Jesus offers peace and righteousness to every heart that comes to him in faith. In another place, Hugh says this, Jesus, our great high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, is praying for our shalom. That is our peace, our wholeness and well-being. He's praying for it right now. He's interceding right now. Jesus is the bestower of righteousness for the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who would believe? It's all about believing. Believing what? Believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, who is Jesus? He's the word of the Lord. He's the word of the Lord who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the word of the Lord who came to us and is all-sufficient. Now, not only is the Bible sufficient, but we have an all-sufficient Savior in Jesus Christ. Y'all check out this illustration. Um, don't make fun of my drawings because uh, I can't draw or write very well. But this helped me a lot as I was studying this. Um, so at the center of this, you see the cross, right? And at the top, we see that salvation or righteousness is not by works, but by grace alone through faith alone. So on this side of the cross, on the left side over here, Abram looked ahead by faith, trusting the promise of God. He was trusting what he could not see. So everybody in the Old Testament, they're looking ahead to what they can't see by faith, trusting God's word. Now, over here on this side of the cross today, we look back by faith, trusting what God has already done. We're trusting a, a promise that has been fulfilled. And what Jesus has already done for us, we see that all of the promises of the Old Testament find their yes in Jesus Christ. And then we get to look ahead to all of the promises that he's promised that haven't come to pass. And we know how can you trust somebody if they do what they say they're going to do. That's how you know they're trustworthy. Everything God said he was going to do, he has done. So why would we not trust that what he said is going to come to pass, that he's going to restore all things, that he's working all things out for your good, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and trust him. If we would step out in obedience every time we do that and we live by faith, we can trust him. We know that his word is sure. It is true. It will come to pass. 
And so by faith, we look ahead to the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because wouldn't you want to trust somebody who said they were going to die and then died and then said they were going to come back to life and then they came back to life? That's, that really happened. That's our king. He is alive today. So in closing, I want to read Romans 4, not the whole thing, just a good chunk of it. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So if you could keep the law perfectly, you didn't need faith. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abram. That's us, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he counted, considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's all because of faith. This is the word of the Lord. God has spoken. God has acted. God justifies people by grace through faith as the story of Abram illustrates. So the question is, how will we respond? Are we going to continue living in fear or are we going to live by faith? Perhaps God has spoken to you through his word and you have responded in doubt and fear before, much like Abram. But tonight, God has spoken through his word and reminded you that he is trustworthy. He has a 100% track record. He comes through every single time, guaranteed. Maybe you need to, to lay down your sense of control, lay down your fear, lay down your anxiety, and just trust in the Lord. Because he closed the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow. Don't you think he would take care of us? Maybe you have knowledge about Jesus and what he's done. Maybe you believe that he, he was a real person, that he really died and he really rose from the grave, and you have those facts, but you've never really submitted to him. You've never really trusted him as your own personal Lord and Master. Because saving faith that leads to righteousness is not faith in facts. It's faith in a person. It's trusting in Jesus alone to rescue you, to forgive you of your sin, to give you eternal life. Pastor Tony Marita said this, what makes trusting someone difficult? Is it not that you find them unreliable, but God is 
totally trustworthy. He is reliable. Faith involves trusting in God's divine faithfulness. We begin the Christian life by faith and continue by faith. God always keeps his promises. Therefore, trust him wholeheartedly for his glory. It's one thing to believe that God exists. James says, you believe that God is one. That's good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So what's the difference between that belief and between faith? Is it not trusting? Because the demons will not bow their knee. They will not submit to the word of the Lord. So faith is much more than just believing in God. Faith is believing God. It's trusting him. It's depending upon him for your very life, here, now, and forever. So do you trust in the life-giving God of Abram? Will you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Lay down your fear, believe in God's word, follow his son. The antidote to fear is faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart because Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you spoke to Abram. I thank you that you have spoken to us through your word and you saw fit for us to have your word. God, we praise you and thank you for the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship you. Because you are alive. You are active. You are God alone. There is no other. And I pray that tonight you would demolish and destroy the lies that so many of us have believed. And how many hours and days and months we have wasted living in fear. I pray that we would walk day by day, moment by moment in faith, knowing that you are trustworthy, that you are true, that you are sure, that your word comes to pass. God, I thank you for the example of Abram. And I pray, Lord, that we would live with our eyes fixed and focused on you, Jesus. Not only to what you have done, to what your word says you will do, that you will restore all things and make all things new. I thank you for making people new right now. I thank you for hearts that you're changing. Thank you for families that you're transforming. I thank you for marriages that you're restoring. And we just ask for you to increase our faith. For those who have faith and that are doubting, I pray that they would pray a simple prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.